0: Welcome back to another episode of Forwards Backwards Podcast, coming to you live from the virtual ha- Highbury. Uh, we recommend yep. you your bartenders, either Keith, via Venmo. Keith, there's also a
1: very important update about the Highbury. It is now officially the best soccer bar in America, as deemed by the greatest American soccer coach alive today, Jesse Marsh.
2: I think the question was actually framed as best soccer bar in Wisconsin. No, it was America. It was America. I I asked it.
0: I should know. America.
2: Oh, my gosh. That is saying something. Uh, Did you hear the part,
0: though, uh, and, uh, uh, Peter, I I have a question uh, about this. Uh, Did you hear the part where he said that you are probably the most famous visitor at the Highbury, (laughs) even more so than Jesse Marsh? He may be
2: being humble. He also mentioned that he thinks I live there.
0: When <laughs> <laughs> the truth
1: is that, that Keith, Keith is, Keith's family lives upstairs and sells yeah, pickles out of the basement.
0: Truth. I should have corrected, Jesse, uh, <laughs> that we sell pickled eggs out of the basement. <laughs> uh, you know, we recommend as well that you tip your bartenders either via Venmo at joe-cats-16 or tipyourserver.org slash MSN. Uh, Peter, by the way, how do you spell secret chimp?
2: L-A-N-C-E-L-O-T space L-I-N-K. Thank you, Peter. As always, I'm
0: joined by the Abbott to my Costello, Dan Fallon. Dan, if you're hosting a cocaine circus, which soccer player, to which soccer player do you extend your first invite?
1: Well, I mean, Maradona would be the first choice. I mean, I think that would be kind of the – He's
0: already there. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wasn't invited he just showed he's, up he just showed up um i'm gonna go with uh he's on with, the cocaine serve circus list serve <laughs> um i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with uh renee guita Ooh, from uh from Colombia, because i believe he was one of the ones who was kind of instrumental in uh organizing those those cocaine matches for uh, Pablo Escobar down in, in Columbia where they would play for him while he was in prison in question marks or in quotation marks. Uh, and also Renee seems like he'd be a, he'd be a pretty fun, uh, pretty fun night on the town kind of guy.
0: If I remember correctly, Renee actually got in trouble uh, because he helped uh, broker uh, a hostage release with, with Pablo Escobar. I believe that is accurate. That is another
1: great, Soccer documentary, um,
0: the two Escobars. Yeah, um, fantastic. And sad story, uh, but, but some of the germane to some of the stuff that we're going to talk about uh, today. Uh, Soccer Colombia and cocaine. Yeah, that, wh- what do we do every week, Dan? Uh, you know, I would say Kyle Walker because uh, we know <laughs> we know he's up for it. Uh, we're also fortunate and you've heard his voice already and, and we want to drop the clip from the Highbury from, we'll, we'll, probably do it at the end of the show here where Jesse, uh, you know, defers to this man as the most famous resident of the Highbury. Uh, and it's an, another quarantine Thursday with the Ted Kaczynski, Che Guevara, Willy Wonka, Johnny Appleseed, and Ma- Mr. Peabody of American soccer. We didn't add a nickname for you last week, Peter. So I'm now going to call you as well, the Mike Royko of Whitefish Bay.
2: Peter Wilt. That is quite the compliment. Uh, my goodness. I, I, I'm honored. Thank you very much, Keith. Well, I've enjoyed reading those, those that brief period of, of columns from you. And I think yeah, we, I spent 2011 unemployed explaining to my wife that I was writing these columns uh, for the Whitefish Bay a patch, weekly columns, sometimes about soccer, usually not. And uh, she inquired how much I was being compensated uh, for it. And uh, I just mumbled under my breath and, and moved, changed the subject.
1: <laughs> Probably the same thing that uh, Daryl Shore did when he was offered the goalkeeping job at Chicago and his, uh, his uh, whoever was in his life at that time. How much are they paying you?
2: <laughs> Mom, dad, got a job. How much are they paying you? <laughs> Mumbling is an underrated tactic. <laughs> Uh,
1: Underpaying before,
0: your goalkeeping coaches isn't, though, right, Peter? Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, there's a long tradition of that.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure he got some of that sweet, sweet summer camp money, though. <laughs> uh, Peter, before we continue our Studs Turkellian oral history of American soccer with you, oh, we've got a couple of uh, housekeeping items to discuss. Uh, first, I uh, spoke to my parents today, and they wanted to confirm with Dr. Depeche Navasaria that he is not, in fact, an actual Flamingo doctor. Uh, they said their insurance <laughs> does not cover avian veterinarians. So that's the first note. Uh, second, uh, I texted Dan the other day that this pod has been two soccer pod. Uh, you know, we were two white guys with beards. I think we talked about Alexi Lawless the other day, which I apologize to our listeners. That name shall never be uttered on this podcast again. Uh, you know, if we end up talking about ProRel, we're going to end up like every other fucking podcast out there. And so to those ends, to you know, give us back our anti-podcast spirit, uh, we've, we've invited uh, the gravelly-voiced God himself, Chris Fox, on uh, next week uh, because we can think of no better uh, person to help us burn everything down than, than Chris Fox. Uh, finally, Dan, after uh, yesterday's Zoom call, uh, Coffee with the Mingos, we need to discuss whether we should even continue this podcast because quite frankly, I had an experience uh, reminiscent of Rilke's archaic Torso of Apollo, where Rilke wrote, otherwise this, this stone would seem defaced beneath the translucent cascade of the shoulders and would not glisten like a wild beast's fur, would not from all the borders of itself burst like a star for here there is no place that does not see you. You must change your life. And so I am thinking about changing my life, abandoning this podcast, this low world, and uh, moving to Salzburg and starting the Church of St. Jesse Marsh. And so you may have to carry on without me.
1: Um, I might move with you. That was a... Uh... I think people might think we're being a little hyperbolic here, but that was one of the, one of the, and you know, we've already mentioned this to Peter. It was only about an hour, I think that made it uh, onto the interwebs, but it went on for a a while after that. And um, man, Jesse is, uh, he's a special man. (laughs) He's got, he's got some leadership qualities. Uh, There were parts of that where I was ready to jump through my computer screen uh if he would have told me to do it
0: yeah i would have uh run through a brick wall Uh, i would kill for jesse marsh i just want you to know that (laughs) if he said to me tomorrow keith uh you know we we need you to kill someone i would probably do that also i gotta say this probably didn't I, i i haven't listened to the replay maybe you have peter you have i know uh but how cool is it for our good friend friend of the pod you know uh our arch rival as well. Uh, you know, the Polish, this, the second greatest Polish podcaster in Madison, uh, Cuba to have his mustache ripped on by Daryl Shore, Eric Winalda and, uh, <laughs> Jesse
1: that that was amazing. I also want to give, I think my, my favorite moment, which I, I don't think was on the part that got aired is that, um, I did make a little bit of a Liverpool reference, but just congratulated Jesse on the quality of of the two matches that Salzburg played against Liverpool. And I, I honestly mean that I think a lot of Liverpool supporters, not here in the States, but over there, took notice of him as a manager and I think walked away thinking, well, that's somebody who you could you could see down the line managing Liverpool with the way they play. Um, but Cuba was the only one to really ask a Klopp question, um, stepping out of the uh, no outside league talk. So I wanted to give Kuba the a big high five for asking the straight on the nose Klopp question. Um, And the other thing I've said, this is that I've never, you know, I've always thought Eric Winaldo was a great player. Um, I think I was a little sour on him from the Fox, uh, Fox soccer days and kind of felt like those early days of Fox were very much hot takes and, you know, kind of a little too, um, Americanized soccer for me. Um, But I I came away really impressed with Eric yesterday and someone who brings a lot of passion, I think, to everything that he does. And I think that, you know, when you do that, that can sometimes come across as a little bit crass and a little bit um, rubbing people the wrong way, which I think he admitted to on air yesterday as well. But I I left that call with a huge amount of respect for Eric, how he goes about his work, the career he had. Um, So, yeah, overall, like, many, many thanks to – to the Polish podcaster who will not be named and forward Madison and just coffee. It was, and, and
0: and Peter, this was one of our, I remember having this conversation. Also, this is again, why Peter and I got along. So well. we had our first conversation, this was Peter back when you were trying to be a a good, uh, you know, good member of the, uh, of the, the forward Madison front office. And you met me at the great Dane because they were a, a sponsor of, of Ford Madison and you had the affiliation and we sit down and you go, I never know what to drink in these places. Can we get a high life? And that's when, you know, we, we kind of bonded over that. But one of the things we talked you about flipped was,
1: over your stools and ran out yeah.
0: <laughs> We left the great Dane and went down to the village. <laughs> um, but one of the things that, that we talked about in you had asked you, we had talked about, you know, that, that guy that we will no longer name. Um, and Eric Winalda. And you said, well, what do you think about them? They, you know, they're both controversial uh, television presences. And I said, you know what, what, what it always feels like with to me with Eric Winalda is he's not saying controversial stuff just to say controversial stuff, that he may rub people the wrong way. He may have, you know, these these opinions he may not like, but they're honest opinions that he holds and that he's not. know, doing it for ratings or or trying to drum up controversy, and you know, is that is that always been your impression? And that was seemed to be everybody's
2: impression of him yesterday. He's just that's how he is. Yeah, and I I listened to the podcast today, and you know, I've known these three guys obviously for decades. And I what I loved is their humility that came across, and humility is not an adjective that normally is associated with uh well maybe with any of them, but especially uh, <laughs> but especially with Eric uh, but I think that came across. I think that was a really neat aspect of, of that podcast that you could see how down to earth those guys are and for me, it was special to have a you know a bit of a reunion of those old Chicago fire guys who shared some really special times. And it was great for Eric to talk about that 2001 season and how it meant so much to him. I uh, wanted to ask, you know, one of the things
0: that uh, came up was, you know, they they talked about, and I think, you know, with Jesse Marsh, it probably was a little bit clear, you know, he'd gone to Princeton and, you know, has all that
2: Uh, Were you surprised to hear that Jesse thought Eric Winalda should be a coach? No, I think people that were in that locker room and worked with Eric understood um, the point you made earlier, that he really has a passion for the game, uh, but also that he's knowledgeable. And just because some of his knowledge is extreme doesn't make him unfit to be a coach. Um, I think the quality of Eric that needs to be included with that uh, those extreme positions is his willingness to evolve his positions and his thoughts on things. And as he talked about in that pod, uh, he's learned over, over time, uh, what works, what doesn't work, how to motivate players. He's learned from his own experience as well as with others uh, that, that team, the 2001 team. And I guess you could say the same thing with the, those fire teams the years before and after um, had so many players that went on to become, uh, prominent head coaches or assistant coaches or or general managers in major league soccer uh, usl and indeed with jesse in europe
1: Peter you know there was a lot of talk yesterday about you know which what year was the big regret and then i think they were talking about that '01 one team and you you think maybe there you have maybe don't feel exactly the same way as they do about that so tell us a little bit about
2: like thinking well, about time. Eric, times Eric like feels it's two thousand one, and that's because that was the only team he was on right, uh, with the Fire. Um, and I overlooked two thousand one because we didn't get as close. We didn't get to MLS Cup. We're yep. Eliminated in the semifinals by the Galaxy in a series we should not have been eliminated, in, and no one thought we would be eliminated. In fact, Fire fans section eight had bought hundreds and hundreds, if not a thousand, tickets for MLS Cup, which was at the neutral site of Columbus the following week. And after we lost, all the Fire fans went anyways, and we cheered as as loud as we could uh, against uh, against the Galaxy. And and, uh, it it was bizarre, because we were the loudest voices, the Fire fans were the loudest voices, even though our team wasn't there. Uh, but to me, Dan, the um, the best team in fire history was actually the one the year before, the 2000 team. And I, I guess you can make some arguments for 2001, but the fact that we didn't even make it to the finals, maybe that's what makes it being overlooked. The 2000 team, of course, made it to the final, um, outplayed Kansas City in MLS Cup at RFK Stadium. And Tony Miola just came up with a blinder of a game and uh, shut us out and, and Bobby the other question that was the title right
0: that was, uh, Bob Gansler. that was
2: Bob Gansler's title it was Lamar Hunt's first title and uh, afterwards during the award ceremony you know I was obviously uh, very uh, upset and disconsolate I guess it might be the better word uh, I remember I sitting on and I went down and sat on the team bench to watch the award ceremony and you know after we got our second place medals Uh, I looked out there and I saw Bob Gansler getting his championship medal and Lamar Hunt out there getting the trophy. And it it made me feel good because I don't know that there's any two people in soccer in this country that have done more for the sport. And for them to uh, get the ultimate reward, I guess, for American club soccer was pretty cool. And I was glad for them uh, individually that they could win
1: you know peter the other thing that was discussed is there was
2: a there was a twitter
1: poll i can't remember who put it out asking if if what was it the oh, 98 to 03 do you consider that a a dynasty um, I, I'd be interested to hear what you think as someone that was on the inside and got to. Celebrate. I voted.
2: <laughs> I voted. Yeah, I, I, you know, if I. In really Chicago style,
0: early and often, or.
2: <laughs> got to every uh, laptop and uh, yeah. <laughs> <Black laughs> every could find and vote. Yeah. Want to find out the Peter Wilt burner accounts? That's what. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I did vote that it was a dynasty, although admittedly. You know, if I'd be really honest about it, I think it's it's hard to call it a dynasty because we only won one MLS Cup. We also won three Open Cups and a Supporters Shield uh, during that span. Uh, the vote was very close. It was within two percent. I think fifty-one percent against it being a dynasty. Forty-nine percent said it was a dynasty. Um, yeah, I, 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 if you could only win one MLS Cup in five years, or it's hard to call it a dynasty. Uh, You can say it was the most dominant team of that period. And I think that would actually be fair. Um, So maybe what we're saying is not every half decade period in sports has a dynasty.
0: Do do you think that, did you, do you ever feel like, uh, you know, the MLS cup structure and they talked a little bit about the ways that it changed. I think at one point it was first team to five points and, do you ever think that kind of, uh,
2: for lack of a better term, screwed you guys over? Yeah, we're all playing by the same rules. Um, but, yeah, I mean, then you get into the argument, what's a better uh, way to determine the best team in a year? Is it the way the rest of the world – most of the rest of the world does it? Yes. Um, with, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> case closed, that's <laughs> It is.
0: Yeah. home and away you play everybody want you know that's the yeah. winner because playoffs are bullshit let's be honest no <laughs> they're bullshit
1: yeah. Keep me that he was coming with the hot
0: takes today I, I, you know if the Repu- if you go republicans end my social distancing with this court case and i have to go back <laughs> to dealing with the general public you know that's what i'm really upset about
2: peter sorry i you know no one's saying you have to deal with the public when this is all over. You can just become a hermit and live how we're all living now.
0: I, I can move to Madeline Island and and be and be just fine. I don't salaries are overrated. You. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Peter. No, but you know, looking at the playoff system, I mean, it changed in there, and and I think there we would all agree that there's more chance involved in a playoff season than a 38 game. You know. Baseball has the same problem, you know, 162 games versus a seven-game season. Um, Do do you sometimes The only good thing about
1: baseball for years, I mean, you know, how small that playoff system used to be, at least you were kind of – you were still really rewarding teams for being the best teams in the league. I mean, you know, back when it was just four teams or two teams. um, You know, now there's – you know, even now it's like, you know – these one game playoffs after, a, you know, what's the point? You played 162 games. Like, you know, if you weren't good enough to get a, get yourself out of that one game scenario, you know, what's the point?
2: No playoff system is perfect. Right. And, you know, so any proposal that someone has on changing it, there'll be pluses to it and minuses to it. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and even if you go with uh, just, uh, the regular table, and and that's how it is, that has issues as well, especially without promotion relegation, because then the incentive for the players and the fans halfway through the season becomes minimal. Well,
1: I don't I don't know if this was on our docket, but that that leads me to something that's been uh, bouncing around the last few days with uh, League of Mechs announcing that they're freezing promotion relegation for five years. Um, and that's starting to create a lot of buzz that this is the the, the moment for the MLS League of Mex, uh merger. And I'd be really curious to hear what you think and, about and Peter Dan, and how- you've,
0: been, you've been banging this drum, and Peter was the original drum banger on this on this merger. so I think well, say- I, I, and I should say broadly,
1: I think I, I also on our 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 Liverpool group chat, uh, in a dark moment said, you know, I think a European Super League is on the horizon now. I I think that that becomes a much stronger possibility given where we're at today and the fact that some clubs might not be able to emerge on the other side of this. Um, But Peter, I'm just just curious about your kind of general takes on what that could look like. And um, if you've ever been involved in discussions about that or. um...
2: Yeah. So I guess two thoughts. One is it's, it's fascinating that on the surface the two countries are going the opposite way. <laughs> America is now starting to make noise about maybe doing promotion relegation in the future, even if it's just the USL uh, divisions. Uh, and, and Liga MX now is getting away from promotion and relegation, uh, which, you know, for years they were the standard bearer for it, and the US was a standard bearer against it. So it's a case of the you know the, maybe the grass is always greener on the other side. Um, the other element to address what you're saying, and yeah, I, I was, I, I don't know if I'd say banging the drum, but I was proposing the concept of merging the top teams in America and Canada and the top teams in Mexico at some point and making a, a two or three division Super League for all of North America. I think it was 15 or even 20 years ago I first mentioned that just in a theoretical sense, never thinking that it would happen. I always based it on the fact that doing that, creating a super league between the two major North American leagues could generate extreme broadcast revenue that would, um, allow the sum to be greater than the parts and help justify MLS and, and legal MX making that uh, huge commitment. I, I also and think it sounds like that
1: would be this, that, sorry, Peter. And that sounds like that could be what you're saying is there'd be enough. Let's be clear. There'd be enough cash on the table that people's, uh, reticence to go to a promotion relegation system, particularly MLS owners, you could have the carrot of, well, okay, yeah, but look at all this money, (laughs) so.
2: And from a status standpoint, as it affects the potential valuation of their team, which is really, I think what this is about, as well as direct operational revenues from broadcast. But the status standpoint of the value of your team going from $250 million, as maybe it is now, to $10 million if you're relegated to a USL championship uh, level, uh, kind of goes away if the relegation becomes second division of a Super League that includes Cheetahs, Club America, Cruz Azul, Moralia.
0: Well, and and I think, you know, that would also tap into the fact that, as we've mentioned on the pod in the past, that League of MX is the number one, uh, you know, televised league in the United States. You have those passionate followers here in the United States, uh, and that will, I think, create those those natural rivalry matches and, and you know, so mm-hmm. on that, you know, I think Chivas USA tried to get in and tap into that, but instead of, you know making an ersatz version, you can go right to the source and bring in Chivas and, and television revenues get up the, the, and it also, I think may the, the increase in revenue may lead uh, to that super league kind of also starting to dominate the Americas as a whole, where it becomes a magnet for talent.
2: That's a good point. And we sit here and we think of it from the perspective of what are the pros and cons for um, uh, MLS teams but I'd be fascinated to get more educated people telling us what are the pros and cons for the Liga MX teams. Um,
0: I'll also say that at that period, Dan was in a very dark place when he was proposing these super leagues. I think he said as well, that every bookstore was going to turn into Amazon and the only place we were going to be able to eat was uh, hooligans, Uh hooligans. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, pretty, that's that's where it
1: was a Benny. That's where Peter, that's yeah. where Peter signed Bob Bradley. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, li- listen, I'm, yeah, yeah, I was, I was feeling a little despondent that day, but <laughs> the, the financial realities are that some of these clubs without major intervention, uh, particularly in some of those big leagues that are not the Liverpool's and Man Cities and Tottenham's and Chelsea's, this is going to be a tough road for them. Um, you know, championship team, like a Leeds, like Leeds United, like, you know, a club that should by all means be in the, in the top division uh, and probably operates very closely to what a team in the top division of England does, how, you know, how do they survive? Uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying I know anything about Leeds, but I'm just saying, you know, I think there are clubs that potentially might not be around for much longer. After.
0: More importantly, if we have a thunderdome of, of chain restaurants, Peter, in your, in your worst <laughs> possible world, what's the surviving chain restaurant? Like in in dystopian Peter Wilt world, you're stuck eating. Because I know you love local. You love kind of idiosyncratic places. You know, everything becomes the same across America. What's your, like, nightmare?
1: There's one restaurant left at the Belvedere Oasis. What is it?
2: (laughs) You know, I'm... You have to, to me, you almost have to subdivide it. Are we talking the fast food QSR categories, quick service restaurants? Uh, In which case, you know, it would in a lot of ways be sad that McDonald's was our only choice. Uh, It's, sorry, I know I love McDonald's french fries. I really do. uh, But just from an image standpoint, that's, I'd much (laughs) rather have White Castle. <laughs> um, it, would, it would be truly sad for White Castle to be gone.
0: We, uh by the way, sent around on that on that group chat a, a, ref, a recipe for White Castle pate, which was <laughs> the most Wisconsin goddamn thing I've ever seen. But uh, okay, so, well,
1: Peter, then taking it a step up, let's get yeah. into like the uh
0: you know the like the sit down like Olive Garden that level. Like, what's your nightmare?
2: Yeah. Probably uh, Red Lobster, you know it's, which is a sister company, a sister restaurant to Olive Garden, um, Garden Restaurant. Me? Indeed. So you compare what this, um, I'll say, quasi seafood restaurant is compared to the real deal, and Red Lobster may be as far apart from that as you can get. Uh, not that Olive Garden is a good substitute for an authentic Italian joint, but, um, yeah, Red Lobster is the one I really wouldn't want to be the only seafood joint or the only restaurant. For some reason, I just think hell is a
0: Chili's. Mm. Like, like in a suburban, a suburban Chili's.
2: It's like, that's what hell is like. Yeah. There's a lot of competition in the category yeah
1: (laughs) it is a very deep bench in the shitty mid-level restaurant well
2: well, speaking of that i was (laughs) pleased to see shake shack give back their small business loan of 10 million dollars kudos to them for at least you know holding up their hands and say yeah we we probably shouldn't be be getting this um at first i thought it was steak and shake um (laughs) You get it mixed up. It's easy to do. Peter, have you been following Steakums on Twitter? Yes, outstanding social yeah. media account.
1: Yeah, like uh, my favorite. My favorite reply was, "I didn't know Steakums still existed," <laughs> 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 and let alone that they are the they are the
2: conscience of all <laughs> shitty food. Let us hope they get a rebirth after this dies down.
0: Uh, on the flip side, if there's one fast food joint you know, that stays, what do you want it to be? Oh, I'm a White Castle guy. Wow. I I had a, in college, I once uh, went to a White Castle and ordered, uh, I think they had a 20 pack for 1099 and I ate all 20 hamburgers and I started seeing, yeah, I had White (laughs) Castle hallucinations. Uh, So I backed away from the White Castle. I don't love it quite nearly as much as I once did. Uh, but it is still fantastic, and White Castle a,
2: fries come in only one size. Uh, in my younger days, at a drive-thru in a St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, White Castle drive-thru, I may or may not have, uh, we'll say, fallen asleep after <laughs> placing my orders. <laughs> as early in the morning, as most White Castle drive-thrus uh, experiences are, only to be awakened by the uh, uh, White Castle worker saying, uh, sir, sir, uh, your order is ready. Please drive forward.
1: <laughs> I believe there is uh, somewhere in like northwest Minneapolis. There's an old white castle that's now like uh, a furniture store or like an antique store, and it's it's pretty. Is it a castle? Like, <laughs> it's the old build, yeah. It's like an old white castle, cool. and it turned. So you're driving down the street, and like my New York brain is like, "Oh shit, there's a white castle," and it's like not a white castle. <laughs> it's like an oasis.
0: <laughs> so uh, on the flip side, and this was something I was thinking about uh, today, uh-huh. while executive producer Paisley and I were were you know going for our our pre-show planning meeting. Uh, you know the Highbury now the best soccer bar in America, official. Um, but Peter. You're, you're also a partisan of what, uh, you know, we may call taverns, dive bars, locals, your, your kind of neighborhood joints in terms of, of bars. And I was wondering what makes a good bar, in your opinion. I have my list. I think Neil has his list. Dan, you probably have your list. What makes a good
2: bar? Well, several things, including um, the, the, the certainly the beer uh, list. I mean, it needs to have as many of the, the retro beers as possible. Certainly, yes, you, know, you have to have High Life, Schlitz, paps But if you can extend it to, you know, Hams and Schlitz, I'm sorry, Hams and Strohs, uh, Old Milwaukee, Yes, even Olympia, uh, that really adds to it. Um, Peels? A lot, a lot of, what's that, Dan? Peels? Peels? Have you ever read Peels? Oh, Peel, no. P-I-E-L-S? Where's that from? Is an Eastern beer? Yeah, it must be an
1: Eastern beer because we used to have it in college. I remember walking into our campus convenience store when I was a freshman and it was on the end cap and it was like $8.99 for a case of beer and it said, that which, would, that which does not kill you only makes you
0: stronger. <laughs> uh, Narragansett out on the East Coast is a good one of those.
2: Yeah. yeah. They Brooklyn,
1: it, New York. Heels is Brooklyn, New York originally.
2: Lovely. Yeah, the the neon neon signs uh, make it. um, Having uh, a certain menu, certainly um, fried food that you can inject right into your arteries and uh, can help shorten your life. And um, the the people make it on both sides of the bar. The bartenders have to be uh, quality people that are... You know, not just the good conversationalists, not just uh, outbound, but they're good listeners. And then uh, some characters on the drinking side of the bar is important. And it helps if you're one of the characters. <laughs> well,
0: that's, that's what I was going to say. It's like the old joke about if you can't spot the the sucker at the poker table, it's probably you. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're, you're always the character at the bar. You, you know, as a. Uh, As I get older, one of the the things that I, I, you know, value more and more is prompt service. You know, bartenders who take their job seriously, you know, time to lean, time to clean, as I was taught as a a young bartender.
2: I think one of the things that's um, uh, making those great old neighborhood dive bars um, more rare is uh, the cell phone. I think too many people on both sides of the bar, again, rather than engage in conversation, are just looking down at their handhelds. I mean, it's a real sin if it's the bartender, Uh, but it's also on our side of the the bar as well. It's our responsibility, damn it, (laughs) to to engage in conversation, uh, not just with the bartender, but with our our fellow uh, drinking mates to our left and our right.
1: Yeah. And I would, I mean, as someone, you know, Peter, I know you travel a lot and in my various roles I've traveled and that's been one thing I've missed is like seeing that kind of slowly deteriorate over time or trying to like just go, you know, hotel bar, have dinner, sit down. And, you know, how do you strike up a conversation with the person next to you sitting there texting the whole time and, and, you know, the times you usually do end up talking to somebody, you remember that conversation, you remember that bar, you remember that person. And, um, yeah, I agree that.
2: The neighborhood, tavern is, the neighborhood Tavern is a community center. It's where people come together um, to, to share their lives. And uh, that's sadly kind of going away. You know, you know major urban bars. For the most part, it's where people will come among their group, but I don't know that they're really interacting with other people uh, throughout the bar. And it's not as much of a community as much as it is just a place to hang out with yourself or one or two other people. Well, and, and
0: you know, this is, we joke about, you know, the, the Pony was is living upstairs from the, from the high Highbury early on. But this is, you know, when my dad was a, was a kid, right? This is the south side of Milwaukee Tavern would be run by the family. They'd have those small, I also think those small uh, glasses Tavern. are a requirement Um, and then, you know, you'd have pickle eggs behind the bar and they'd live upstairs and, you know, people would stop in throughout the day for a drink or, oh yeah, you know, he's off work at this time. He comes in and they'd know, and he'd stop by and, you know, catch up with the, with people. And and these bars were just in the middle of the block. They were a house and, you know, that's how it went. The other thing I like about a good neighborhood bar, and this is uh, one of my favorite bars in the whole world is Jimmy's Woodlawn Tap at the university of Chicago campus, uh, And uh, one of the things I love about it is, apparently, back in the 1940s, they had some sort of disagreement with Budweiser uh, distributor. And so they still, to this day, don't sell Budweiser. And so it's got to have some sort of grudge. I like a good grudge bar.
1: (laughs) You mean like Cheers and Gary's?
2: Yeah, exactly. But some sort of like, you know, kind of thing in the background. Um, One of those in St. Louis, of all places, is actually in the shadow of Anheuser-Busch's corporate headquarters and, in main brewery. It's called the way out club. Uh, it's also a music venue. It's full of kitschy advertising memorabilia from the fifties and sixties. You can get a Stroh's a Schlitz, a hams, a Miller, a Stella, pretty much any beer you want, but you cannot get a Budweiser. <laughs> and and why do we know? Uh, I do not know the genesis of the uh, disagreement, but they are not fans of the Anheuser-Busch, uh, Group of beers because they're crap.
0: Uh, <laughs> this used to be, you know. I used to bartend at Summerfest, and and people would come and and usually, you know, not to stereotype, but they had a southern accent, and they go, "You got, y'all got any of that Budweiser?" And it's like you're in fucking Milwaukee, and so the <laughs> this sort of pat response became, uh, you see that, you see that highway that you know you could point at the road from the Summerfest grounds, and go, "Yeah, you go south," uh, you know. To, uh, to I-55 and take that to St. Louis. <laughs> so, um, no, and, and I think, you know, part of it, too, is just the way beer has gone. Uh, it's coming back now, but it used to be a regional product. You know, Ham's was St. Paul. Uh, Kugels up in that part of the state. And, you know, Miller and, and you know, w- Madison had its own own beer well, It started
2: company. that way because beer was introduced in America before refrigeration. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, Schlitz, and the Great Chicago Fire in 1871, which started to change that. After the Chicago Fire, the breweries had all burned down, and um, the nice people at the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company uh, decided to provide free beer, uh, my favorite kind of beer, to uh, the good <laughs> c- uh, citizens of Chicago. And Chicagoans remembered that, and it gave Schlitz a foothold in Chicago where they then opened up these Tide houses where they owned the real estate, the the building and put bars in there. And the only beer you could get was Schlitz or Schlitz or Schlitz. (laughs) One of the the other great restaurants like that in
0: Chicago, and I think they may have reopened it uh, somewhere else. Did you ever go to the Berghoff when you were down in
2: Chicago? Yeah. The Berghoff had liquor license number 0001 in Chicago since 1934 and then they closed, as you said, for a short time in like 2005, which moved li- liquor license 0002 Shallers Pump in Bridgeport to the number one spot. And then when Berghoff reopened a few years later, they tried to get their uh, 001 back and the city would not do it. Ooh. Ouch. One yeah, of the rude. cool
0: things about the Berghoff was it was an archaic system, but the waiters would actually buy the food from the kitchen and they Man, made uh, money on the markup. Son. Yeah. Um, We've uh, got, Berghof,
2: got one meal.
0: For you, sir, that's $88. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, Peter, uh, now, one of the things we talked about before the show is you're working on your soccer memoir. Are you going to include some of these strange and uh, interesting dive bars that you've been in in the soccer memoir?
2: I think they are, yeah. I mean, it, it's my life in soccer you know, begins with my experiences with the Milwaukee Wave in 1987. I think I've got it pretty much done through the Indy 11 years. I might have some updating to do there, so I, I need to finish the NISA-Chicago NASL sections, uh, which did not go so well. <laughs> and then uh, the Forward Madison years, which did go very well. And I, I think there's probably a couple of uh, drinking stories uh, in those chapters.
0: Yeah, including <laughs> apparently
2: one where you uh, angered Sunil Gulati Of uh, <laughs> That was actually not at a bar, but it was uh, at Toyota Park. It was, uh, I think it was the opening day of 2016. It was the opening of Toyota Park. And I was in uh, the Bridgeview Mayor's uh, suite. And Sunil was in the suite adjacent to us, but there was kind of a walkway in between. And, you know, the mayor comes out. uh, We're in the seated area overlooking the field. The game had already started. You know, we had, uh, we being the Chicago Fire, were playing the New England Revolution, which was Sunil's team at the time. He had left the league office and now was working for, uh, the Crafts, and particularly the New England Revolution, and we'd scored uh, five minutes in, in, into the match. So Sunil was not a happy camper, and then five or six minutes later, we score again. Sunil sitting across from me, not happy. And the mayor of Bridgeview, Stephen Landek, um, he was kind enough to invite me uh, to the game. I'd been let go by the fire a few months before that, so they were not in the mood, I guess, to invite me. So uh, <laughs> the mayor invited me, because he was he recognized my, my role in getting that stadium built. And uh, while down uh, two nothing, while New England was down two nothing, the mayor brings out this giant bottle of champagne um, with the logo of Toyota Park on the label. So it was a custom labeled champagne. I, I don't know that the grapes were custom grown, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Toyota. Or grown in Bridgeview. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Out by the train tracks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the mayor the mayor's personal vineyard. <laughs> He's got connections. He really does.
1: <laughs> he pays zero tax on it because it's agricultural land. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's
2: legal, very legal. Uh, uh, so he, he asked me to open this bottle of champagne so we can celebrate and toast uh, the opening of Toyota Park. Uh, so I, I'm wiggling. I'm struggling with it a little bit. And finally, the cork, it's one of those plastic corks. So you know it's good champagne. <laughs> <laughs> I think at that point, it's sparkling wine, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> so sparkling wine shoots the champagne cork off the ceiling of the suite, and it ricochets across the aisle and right into the president of U.S. soccer and the head of craft sports and entertainment, Sunil Galati. <laughs> I had shot Sunil, the president of US (laughs) soccer. He turns, looks at me, and stares daggers into me. (laughs) I, at that point, knew that um, I was not on his favorite list. But (laughs) now now I still like Sunil.
0: Now, two things Uh, you did not shoot the deputy. And uh, second point, uh, now we know why, you know, your persona non grata in MLS, uh, (laughs) right there. Um, Have you ever considered, you know, getting involved in U.S. soccer at a, you know, organizational level or anything like that? Or is that...
2: It just says now's not the time to be looking for a job with U.S. Soccer. (laughs) (laughs) I hear they may be trying to cut back a little bit. Well, your Um, your last name isn't Bertalter, so you're. (laughs) Well, uh, I was on the board of U.S. Soccer, the board of directors uh, in the late '90s, early 2000s, for a a few years. Um, um, You know, I I enjoyed being able to. see the inside of the sport, see the sausage being made, so to speak, and, and being able to contribute a little bit uh, uh, to the growth of the sport from that level. Uh, you know, people have suggested that I, 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 I seek a leadership position in U.S. soccer. I, I, I su- suspect I am not politically savvy enough <laughs> to uh, either get or maintain well, the, we're going to have to suppress soccer?
0: these podcasts if you ever come <laughs> to room for anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. Hashtag three one one.
2: Exactly. So, yeah, probably not. I'm probably better suited for uh, uh, the club or league level.
0: Uh, fi- final question, Peter. Um, you know, we've called you the Che Guevara of of American soccer. Uh, is it going to be called the, the Prius diaries, the Honda Accord diaries, you know, instead of the motorcycle diaries, my, what, are you, what are you going with?
2: Well, my first car I ever owned was a 1958 Edsel. So let's go with the, the Edsel one. diaries. The Edsel diaries. Uh, the
0: other question and, and, uh, you know, last night I watched the Hustler and I think you got this wrong. Uh, you had said Dustin Diamond should play you in the movie version of your m- memoirs. I think Paul Newman.
2: Wow, you know he was my mother's favorite actor. Those blue eyes look just like mine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, Dustin Diamond from from the, from. The... Is there another? I mean, he lives in Wisconsin, and I heard he's looking yeah, for he work was... after he stabbed that guy.
2: He's out of jail. Yeah. Oh, if yeah. he is out of jail, then he's a candidate for sure. Um, yeah, I think he's out of jail.
1: I think he's out of jail.
2: No, I watched
0: uh, last night, uh, TCM watched uh, The Hustler with uh, Paul Newman and Piper Laurie.
2: What a great movie that is. Uh, and George, George C. C. Scott. I yeah. that George C. Scott was in it. Yeah, that's a tremendous movie. Yeah. I just saw, uh, what's George
1: C. Scott's kid's name? Uh, George C. Scott II? No, he's an actor. He, I just saw him on Broadway in, uh, in uh, Christmas Carol. Adam Scott? No. Uh, I'll think of it later.
0: <laughs> another, Mike.
2: another compelling s- segment with Dan. <laughs> Who was the voice of Bullwinkle? Let's bring this back to animation. Wasn't the voice of Bullwinkle a Scott? Was it? It may have been. Let's. You know, let's, we're going to have to go to Scott? the lookup machine. There's also Willard Scott. Campbell. No relation to George C. Campbell Scott.
1: Campbell.
0: Oh, Campbell Scott. Yep.
1: He, he met the in, No, he played. He played Scrooge on Broadway this year in um,
2: Christmas Carol, and was very good. Because his father played Scrooge in the movie. Scrooge. So yeah. it, was, it was Bill Scott.
0: There you go. And then later on, interestingly enough, the voice was played by Keith Scott, who was no relation. shocking yeah what a coincidence also even more coincidence and we're getting deep into repo man territory here uh what's my first name keith what's my brother's first name scott keith scott there you go we're bringing a
2: lattice a lattice of coincidences how many listeners do you think we have left at this
1: point Uh, yeah i don't think anyone's going to be singing the praises of this like we sang the praises of talking to daryl uh, Jesse Marsh, and Eric Wadalto. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you don't think Jesse's going to tune into this? Well, Paul jury so that's one. Paul's, Paul's yeah. tuning in. He's definitely tuning in. Gail Sayers, I think, was pleased to hear he was mentioned.
1: Yeah, so, Gail Sayers you know. sent us a very nice note. Um, let uh, let me tell also, you. He oh. also corrected us on the spelling of Brian. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Multiple times on multiple platforms. Let me tell you how obscure and anti-podcast we've got today. Jason Ilstrup isn't even going to say nice things about this. (laughs) Jason Ilstrup, our dear friend, uh, president of Downtown Madison, Inc. Singularly the most positive man I've ever met. Um, He's not even going to say nice things about this
2: podcast. (laughs) be kind and say oh I wasn't able to tune in this week
0: but I I
1: bet it was great (laughs)
0: he's he's like the mother that you never had you know not you know just everything you've done is the greatest thing you've ever accomplished so uh once again want to say uh thank you to you Peter for joining us uh we had fun even if our two listeners didn't uh Dan do you have anything you want to get off your chest here Anything I want to get off my chest? No, I don't. I, I'm
1: still basking in the glory of yesterday's. The <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: uh, honestly, I was I was starting to, you know, feel a little like ground down. I've work and mm-hmm. been really busy, and I've been sitting here in in my office for a long time. Uh, but yesterday, that that conversation brightened me up, and uh, yeah. I, mean, I have to say, I really, I really feel for people. Um, at some point, we have to discuss Jesse Marsh talking about meeting Carlo Ancelotti. because uh, yeah, and we,
1: you know, in in some ways, we have our illustrious guest here to thank for bringing all of those gentlemen together many years ago in Chicago, and um, it's clear that they've all remained very good friends and supportive of each other. And um, I, you know, I came away from that with a lot more faith and hope in U.S. soccer. If we're put, if we can churn out. 50 or a hundred more Jesse marshes that are out there coaching uh, our players around the world and bringing that positivity and energy to what they do, I think we'll be in a much, much better place. And um, it shows that, you know, it can come from anywhere. We're seeing Wisconsin.
0: Yeah. And I hate to break it to you though. Like Jesse marshes are not like the coronavirus. It's not an exponential growth curve. (laughs) We're not going to get to 50 like overnight. (laughs)
1: it's but it is possible it shows that it is possible and um god bless him for going out there and spreading the good word of american soccer and impressing people over there and i'm very interested to see where his career goes from there so
0: so we may not be back next week uh because we will have gone to salzburg to start the church of of jesse marsh uh you know peter i do want to break the news to you uh i think previously dan and i had talked about you adopting us um you know via this podcast. but now Jesse has, has replaced you, uh, we'll Jesse to adopt us. So. Very
2: understandable. I'll be asking uh, Jesse for a room in his home as well.
0: <laughs> well uh, of course, Peter doesn't mention that he never wanted to adopt us. He was like, oh, dear God, no. <laughs> <laughs> he just played along to be nice. Uh, so we say until next time forwards, not backwards, upwards, not forwards, and always twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedom.
1: On our fly all of the guys call up on me.
0: Uh, so the, the, the first question I have is, uh, Jesse, is the Highbury the Greatest Soccer Bar in America? Um, yeah, I would actually say yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Eric, yeah, you probably wouldn't know. Daryl, have you been there?
0: I actually have not been, um, but I, I very well know of it. Okay. Uh, so you, you Are you the most famous person to go in there or is it eater? Oh, Peter Willed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Peter is more I, famous when he gets there. Yeah, I, I make occasional like like once every five year cameo.
1: Like Peter lives there, you know. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a football pub in Milwaukee, Eric. So my brother worked there. It's a it's friends of my brother that that own it and run it. And My brother worked there for I don't know maybe three years. Um, and so
0: typically when we would go home, they have an amazing Boxing Day. Right, Cuba. We said. I think that's probably the last time we saw each other. Yeah. Well, I think you have a restraining order against Cuba's brother from the last time you saw him, because <laughs> you had just been hired at the Red Bulls. Okay. And and he hugged you several times.